0: This is KPIX 5 News. A quick verdict for the Northern California man accused of killing four women. Joseph Naso, guilty on all counts. Good evening, I'm Alan Martin. Elizabeth Cook is on assignment. Our Don Knapp was in the courtroom when the jury handed down its decision just hours ago. Don? That's right, Alan. The guilty verdict came as no surprise to those in the courtroom who were familiar with the much-talked-about allegations of sexual assault, murder, and photographs of victims it's been two years since joseph Naso was arraigned on charges that he murdered four women all of them prostitutes the murders were all cold cases dating back to nineteen seventy seven when the body of eighteen-year-old roxine rogash was found alongside sir francis drake boulevard west of fairfax her brother larry has been at the trial nearly every day and says he would say these words to Neso: jump off a bridge go kill yourself go hang yourself in a cell to save us some time and money finish it. Just get it finished. After the testimony of 70 witnesses and the introduction of Naso's own self-incriminating writings and suggestive photographs, the jury spent about three hours yesterday and two hours today to find the 79-year-old guilty of first-degree murder in all four cases and the special circumstance of multiple murders that makes him eligible for the death penalty. Besides killing Roxine Rogash, the jury says Naso also killed Carmen Cole in 22, whose body was found in Port Costa in 78. Pamela Parsons, 38, found in Yuba County in 93, and Tracy Defoya, 31, found in Yuba County in 94. All of the victims' first and last names had the same initial. Rogash says he came to the trial in memory of his sister, Roxine, and the other women, too.
1: These are young girls. All of them young
0: girls. All of them forgotten. Uh, I haven't seen a single family member here since I've been here. I've been the only one here. The jury will return September 4th to begin the penalty phase of the trial. Mesa will again act as his own attorney as he attempts to avoid the death penalty. Alan? Don, Larry Rogash, who you mentioned there, he's been quite vocal and active during the trial. He wrote messages on his truck. Any more from him? Well, he was a little bit too active. A couple of times now the court has called him in. Uh, they said that, you know, the jur- they asked the jurors if they had seen the messages. They were concerned that this might be jury contamination. Both times the judge ruled it was not.
2: Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Truth Be Told Podcast. I'm Sheddy. I'm Shabs. So Shabs, what have you been up to recently?
1: Um I've just been doing a lot of night shifts, so if I sound a little bit groggy, the listeners will know why.
2: I'm not sure how you manage a night shifts normally. I don't think I could cope with the um the change of routine. I I remember going on holiday um a few years ago to Chicago and um it took me three days to get back into routine. I kept falling asleep on the couch. <laughs>
1: Well, if I do um, three or four nights in a row, it it usually takes me about a week to readjust. But I'm getting better with it now. So what have you been up to this week then?
2: I've been one of them lucky few teachers that has a half term, come early. So quite a few schools are off this week. Um, Many of them actually off the week after, which is a bit strange. It ends up causing a lot of problems for parents when they've got children that go to different schools.
1: Yeah, it varies a lot in England. I wonder if it varies... Um, in other countries as well when half term is like I mean, s- they call it break don't they in other they do countries.
2: it's it is different in different schools across the country um well across the country and across the world because in different countries it depends on how they what holiday they have like in america I presume you'd have holidays for thanksgiving and stuff like that which you don't really have in the uk
1: and spring break yeah we have easter holidays which mm. i guess is similar
2: but even here, it it varies because depending on the school, schools have to set a calendar up beforehand. Uh, some schools, for example, my school, have a calendar for the next two years. Oh, really? Yeah, and they need to ensure that if they've got various things like prize giving or like my school is a Church of England school, it has a, it has a lot of religious services as well hmm. uh, in order for you to book certain venues. You have to have it on the calendar, and if you can't book it on that date, then, the, then the holidays begin to vary, like, like it has done now. But yeah, I'm jo- enjoying this holiday, enjoying the week off, get a bit of time to the myself. Weather? The weather in Manchester, are you kidding?
1: <laughs> We've had hail, sleet, snow and rain pretty much for the last month.
2: Yeah, it has been, hasn't it? Snowed, um, Snowed out a few days ago. Um, not as much, uh, not as bad as it would be in America, I can imagine. Um, I think a bit of snow happens there, everyone panics. Same with the um, electric cutting out. I oh, remember yeah. once, a few years ago, moved here to this area and um, the electric went out across the whole probably street. All these people were walking out like people that I'd never seen before walking out their doors, didn't know what to do. They thought they'd come to the end of the world because the electric went off.
1: Do you know, I think that was on Halloween um, and there was a bunch of. Children who were trick-or-treating and the electric went off and I heard everybody screaming and running home. This Halloween? No, no, a few Halloweens ago.
2: Yeah, I remember a few years ago. (laughs) That was actually really funny. (laughs) In in some countries, I mean, it's not really an issue, is it? I mean, the electric goes, people just carry on as normal, so.
1: Yeah. Mm.
2: Okay, so what we're going to do today is we are focusing on our third episode. It's the Alphabet Murders. It's going to be narrated by Shabs. We're going to go across, uh, (laughs) not across the seas, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to go across the seas and um, I hope you enjoy this episode and do keep following us on Twitter, on Facebook, you can also download us on iTunes and Stitcher and you can also follow us on YouTube. Episode 3, The Alphabet Murders.
1: Between 1971 and 1973, three young girls aged 10 to 11 were found sexually assaulted and slain near Rochester, New York. The murders were named the Alphabet Murders due to the victims all having double initials for their first and last names. And they were all found dead in suburbs with names in which the first letter coordinated with the girls' initials. The victims were Carmen Colon, Wanda Walkowitz, and Michelle Mienza. Carmen Colon was the first victim, a 10 year old girl with an effervescent smile. Carmen lived with her grandparents when she disappeared on November 16, 1971, from the Bullshead neighbourhood in southwest Rochester. Two days later, two young teenage boys were cycling along Stearns Road in Raga when they spotted a tiny body in a ditch. At first they thought it was a doll someone had tossed aside. Instead, it was the body of Carmen Colon who had disappeared two days before she had left a drugstore on West Main Street near her Brown Street home. Carmen had been strangled and sexually assaulted, the medical examiner determined. Fingernail marks had scarred her neck and much of her body. Once media accounts circulated about her slaying, another unsettling report came to the fore. Dozens of drivers may have seen Carmen running semi-naked along Interstate 490 westbound, about a mile east of Riga. After the discovery of Carmen's body, several drivers reported to police that they'd seen the young girl, almost naked, with a car backing along the shoulder toward her in the afternoon of her disappearance. Most cars were driving upward of 70 miles per hour when they passed her and no one stopped, with the drivers apparently unsure of what they'd seen. Cell phones, of course, were not in use then. Almost 17 months later, in April 1973, Wanda Walowitz, 11, vanished from the neighbourhood near her Avenue D home. She was also found slain the next day in an isolated area at a restaurant in Webster. It was reported by Wanda's sister that Wanda had been sent to the store. At the store, Wanda bought $8.52 worth of groceries, including tuna fish, milk, cupcakes and cat food. She left the store and vanished. The next day, a state police trooper found Wanda's body in Webster, near the bottom of an embankment at a rest stop off of Route 104. Like Carmen Colon, she had been strangled, possibly with a belt, and raped. Like Carmen, She disappeared in the late afternoon while running an errand for the family. Police quickly drew parallels with Carmen's killing. Tips rolled in, including reports that a man driving a brown car had pulled a red-haired girl into the car around Conkey Avenue the day of Wanda's abduction. The car did not match the one seen on Interstate 490 in Carmen's case. And as with Carmen, police could not make an arrest. The crime remained unsolved when, six months later, someone grabbed 11-year-old Michelle Mienza off the streets near her Rochester home on Webster Crescent. Her corpse was found two days later in a largely rural stretch of Wayne County in the town of Maystone. Michelle, a chubby, shy girl, had been at the Goodman Plaza shortly before she went missing. Her uncle had seen Michelle at the plaza and offered to give her a ride home, but she had declined. Unlike the first two killings, however, police developed some solid leads about Michelle's disappearance. Later on the day she went missing, a woman saw a young girl resembling Michelle in a car at a fast food restaurant in Penfield a man was walking towards the car with a bag of food Michelle's autopsy revealed she'd eaten a hamburger also that evening a man stopped along route 350 in Walworth after he saw a car stopping with an apparent flat tyre a girl resembling Michelle sat in the car The man with the flat tyre made it apparent he wanted no help so the would-be-good Samaritan continued on his way. Both witnesses gave similar descriptions of the man they saw and police developed a composite that the media displayed for weeks. Calls came in by the thousands, many of them of little help. In fact, when the calls tapered off, They still numbered about 75 an hour during daytime hours. Police picked up debris along the likely path from the restaurant to Eddie Road where Michelle was found dead. The possible evidence filled the beds of several pickup trucks. The investigation was ongoing when on January 1st 1974 a Rochester fireman Named Dennis Termini tried to rape a teenage girl in a garage. Police intervened and Termini ran. Police closed in on him and Termini pulled out a handgun, a .45 automatic pistol which he put to his head and shot himself. Termini, police decided, had raped another teenager in a garage. While both victims were older than the girls in the double initial murders, investigators thought Tamini might be a prime suspect and other evidence bolstered that belief. His car matched the description of cars seen in the abductions and a map in his car was folded in a way highlighting Wayne County. Also, Tamini kept his firefighter uniform in the car and police suspected that only an apparent authority figure could have lured the girls into the vehicles without a fight. For decades, Tamini would stay at the top of the list of possible suspects. This theory was incorrect, however, as in 2007, DNA evidence concluded that Tamini was not involved in the alphabet murders. On April 1, 2011, 77-year-old Joseph Naso, a New York native who lived in Rochester during the 1970s, was arrested in Reno, Nevada for four murders in California between 1977 and 1994. He was a professional photographer who had travelled between New York and California extensively for decades. All four of the murdered women were described as prostitutes who had been raped and strangled. The victims, like the victims in Rochester, all had double initials. One of them was a 23-year-old woman, also called Carmen Colon, having the exact same name as the 10-year-old Carmen Colon who was murdered in Rochester. Colon's body was found near Carquinez Scenic Drive in Port Costa, in Contra Costa County, on August 15, 1978. Naso, a former commercial photographer, was also found guilty of the murders of Pamela Parsons, 38, and Tracy Tafoya, 31. Whose bodies were found in Yuba County in September 1993 and August 1994, respectively. The jury saw Naso acting as his own attorney, smiling and wearing a suit and tie during the two month trial. Naso was arrested after visiting probation officers found disturbing photographs of nude women in unnatural positions they appeared unconscious or dead. Naso called it art. Deputy District Attorney Rosemary Sloat called it criminal, claiming Naso drugged and photographed his victims, strangled them and dumped their naked bodies in rural areas of Marine and Contra Costa counties in the 1970s. Evidence against NASO included a handwritten list that prosecutors allege refers to at least seven women, including the four victims, and some of the locations where their bodies were found. During the trial, the prosecution presented 70 witnesses and NASO called seven to the stand. On November 2013, Naso was sentenced to death for the murders in California. Naso was also a person of interest in the Alphabet murders, however, was ruled out of that case when DNA found on Californian victims was not matched to the DNA found on the bodies of the Rochester victims. The Alphabet killer's identity remains unknown to this day. So in the media... In 2001, the Discovery Channel aired a programme revisiting the murders. In 2008, there was a Hollywood film, The Alphabet Killer, which was very loosely based on the alphabet murders. In 2010, there was a book called The Alphabet Killer, The True Story of the Double Initial Murders. On April 1, 2011, the AMC Network aired a short documentary, titled Countdown to the Killing, The Alphabet Murders. There's also a novel by Agatha Christie featuring Hercule Poirot called The ABC Murders, which is also quite similar in that the killer in the story murders women with the same letter initials um, as to the place where they were murdered.
2: So there you have it, The Alphabet Murders. This one's remained unsolved and... um... It's a shame, really, because I always think back to um, how it affects the families. Uh, the children were relatively young that died. Uh, I don't know if it's just me, and I shouldn't really think like this, but I find it more of a shame when children are actually murdered. I'm not sure what you think about that.
1: I think it's because they're so vulnerable, aren't they, and they don't really have a chance to defend themselves. I think it's you know always a shame when somebody's murdered, even if it's an adult, but when someone is young it just seems a lot worse because it seems like they never really had a chance
2: it must be absolutely horrific for the family though imagine living through that all your life uh trying to follow up on leads trying to you know i can imagine it not necessarily just affects the family there've been instances where if you have a person on the case so someone on the police force that's on the actual case itself they have to live with that for the rest of their life and it can have a major, major impact on most of their career, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, it must be really difficult if you're in charge of solving these crimes and you, f- you feel a bit of a failure um, if you, you know, not manage to catch the person. And I guess you're always going to worry that the person's going to strike again.
2: Do you, Do you remember the TV programme that we were watching recently about crime? It's called Real Detective, if yeah. you remember that. And a lot of the cases in that, even though they did, they were solved in the end, the impact that it had on some of the um, police officers or the detectives that were working the cases was devastating. And I'm talking mm-hmm. about detectives that have probably been on the force or been a homicide detective for more than what something like thirty, forty years. We were looking yeah. at. Yeah. Mm.
1: Like their whole lives, and then one case just kind of breaks them mentally, yeah. doesn't it?
2: It seemed to be the case um, on Real Detective that the cases that are really broken were the ones that involved younger children or, or younger people. I'm, and I'm not saying for one minute that that's any better than adults um, being murdered, that you know, it's just as horrific. But a whole life gone, a family that's growing up and has lost a sibling, the impact it must have on brothers and sisters or the parents for that matter is absolutely shocking. Um, What I would say, though, in in recent times as well, especially with technological uh, advances, that if there was samples of DNA that might have been found on the victims, sometimes that can now, with with DNA profiling or profiling for that matter, they can actually locate and, and find criminals. So you never know, this case might not remain unsolved forever.
1: The DNA um, evidencing obviously um, helped to disprove Naso and Tamini because they thought that they were the suspects at the time. And I suppose that's difficult for the family as well because you probably think, oh, yeah, we finally got the person. And then it turns out that actually, no, it isn't that person.
2: That's really bad. However, it's just as bad for the person that's been arrested and and put away for something they haven't committed and... We hear of numerous cases where someone will go down for many, many years and then the DNA proves otherwise, and that that must be horrific as well.
1: That's true, but in this case, both of them had committed other similar crimes, hadn't they? So they got their just deserves...
2: Yeah, and I guess DNA sampling as well, uh, any sort of criminal evidence that you um, put away into storage has to... you know, It can't degrade over time as well because that can have a major impact, so... I mean, there must be masses of evidence out there in the real world where it's just out of the way uh, and sat there on shelves for you know many many years, and that can that can get damaged over time, or it certainly can get contaminated as well.
1: You know, it's quite interesting because I listened to another podcaster um, about true sto- like true ghost stories,
2: mm-hmm. and in
1: there they were talking about hauntings that happen in warehouses where they store police um, kind of evidence. I was just listening to that okay. the other week, so that's quite interesting um, that you mentioned that. Wow,
2: well, what happened there? What did they mention?
1: Um, they were just um, talking about how they think a place like that would have very bad energy and could attract like the supernatural because they store like forensic evidence for years and years and years. And then sometimes, um, this show is in America, so sometimes they actually sell off some of the items that weren't okay. directly related to the crime, but were kept for forensic purposes so imagine buying a clock in a room that someone had been murdered in
2: would you, do you think that would <laughs> I don't think that would appeal to me to be honest with you mm,
1: if people like that sort of thing when they're into the supernatural they don't, don't they
2: Yeah probably probably true
1: Just one other thing about um, this case um, there's obviously the killer wasn't um, found so there's quite a few theories. Uh, one of the theories which I find interesting is that there was uh, um, multiple killers and it wasn't... Oh,
2: sorry. You say something like maybe... Uh, I mean, you say there were multiple killers, but do you, are you assuming there might have been copycat murders? Something um, like that?
1: Well, there's two theories. One is that there's copycat murders and then the second one was that there were actually just two separate people um, and that's how they got away with it.
2: So... you. What you're saying is that the two people were known to each other or yeah. were they independent?
1: I think known to each other.
2: That makes it all the more difficult, isn't it? It's not often um, for serial killers, for that matter, that that do always work in pairs. It's, it's strange uh, when the, you do find um, murders such as Myra Hindley and Ian Brady, uh, Rosemary and Fred oh, West. Oh, we
1: should cover that one.
2: Uh, examples like that where they, the couples um, did murder together, but it must be a very, very strange concept Um in that field of crime, I would say that you'd find someone who has um, similarities to do such a heinous crime as what you would want to do. I, I, I don't know what you think about that.
1: Um, I think a lot of it to do is to do with having like codependent relationships. So I can see it stemming from there. So two troubled people finding solace in each other and and then turning to crime.
2: I mean, this kind of goes against the grain, but Myra Hindley. If you look at her history, and it's something we will cover at some point, but with Myra Hindley in particular, um, from what you read, she had a, a decent upbringing. She had a decent upbringing, no real trouble from what you could see. She the, It was unexpected for someone like her. She didn't characterize a normal type of serial killer per se, um, but she went ahead and, and did that with Ian Brady, maybe because she looked up to Brady and mm. seemed to have a lot of respect for him because he was, he was older, definitely.
1: Well, um, it'll be interesting to cover the theories when we um, talk be. about that story because um, that one's quite close to home, isn't it's it?
2: Definitely close to home, shockingly um, close to home. Often when I'm at work, uh, I'll often speak to people and I mention how close Myra Hindley was to where we are. Um, but I guess, you know...
1: Yes, <laughs> um, crimes happen everywhere, don't yeah, they? they do. you not often... always aware where they take place.
2: You don't really hear about it as much now, especially with so many... You know, when we were younger, you used to spend a lot of time, know everybody in your local area. You knew... I remember the streets used to be full uh, of all your neighbours playing out, and you, you'd have parents mm-hmm. on the doorsteps, and you'd know everybody there. Now it's it's almost a shock to know someone who lives two two doors from where you live, so you don't really hear it as much in the media, do you? So...
1: Well, I suppose you just don't know who you're living next to anymore, and it's a shame. I mean, your, our neighbours could be serial killers my for all heart, we know.
2: Our, <laughs> our neighbours, well, that would be my brother that lives, our, our brother, <laughs> should I say, that lives next door. So, just, just on that uh, thought, I was um, thinking of doing the next episode on Dr. Harold Shipman.
1: And that's not our brother.
2: No, 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 it doesn't. <laughs> Even doesn't look like him either, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe a little bit when he goes, <laughs> give him a few years. A bit grumpy like Harold Shipman.
1: Lose a bit of hair.
2: Yeah. Um. To be honest with you, well, well, Harold Shipman, yeah, that would be a fascinating one to actually cover. Again, that's actually not too far away. We say that, but it wasn't too far away. Just an uh, uh, interesting point on that. Um, it was actually, not, not not my brother, that's the doctor. It's another brother of ours. It was his friend's GP. Oh, really? I bet you didn't know that. No? And um, my brother's friend actually said that he was a very nice GP. Oh, really? <laughs> was... Nice
1: to him because he didn't have a lot of money?
2: No, I think he was perfectly nice to the younger p- patients that went there. It was an issue with elderly p- patients, as we will you know, hopefully discover uh, mm. as we read through what happened. And, and I think it would be quite good to get the views of Dr. H on that episode yeah. as well in regards to a lot of the things that went wrong and how Harold Shipman was actually caught.
1: Um, Do you think Harold Shipman is known worldwide?
2: It would highly surprise me if he wasn't known worldwide because in terms of the UK, he's actually considered the most prolific serial killer.
1: I didn't actually realise that myself.
2: I've got a feeling he had over 200, um, well, they, they say over 200 victims in total.
1: I honestly didn't Mm. realise the number was that high, but stay tuned for that one. That will be an interesting episode.
2: Mm -hmm. It will indeed.
1: Please follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Stitcher, iTunes, and now Spotify for Android users. You'll find the links in our show notes. So I'm your host, Shabs. And I'm Shetty. See you again soon.
2: Ciao for now.